0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It is the first Friday of the month and time for our first weekly news recap for 2024. That's where we dive deep into the top stories across Chicago and Illinois that you need to know about. Stories like these. The U.S. Census Bureau admits Illinois was undercounted and actually gained residents. 300 new laws are now officially on the books in
1: the state of Illinois.
0: Pending approval of the state Senate, the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services will have a new director. Advocates trying to block former President Trump from the 2024 ballot are formally objecting to that newly submitted nominating petition. Let's meet our panel of journalists. Quinn Myers is back with us. He covers Wicker Park, Westtown and Bucktown for Block Club Chicago. Hey, Quinn. Hey, Happy New Year. Alex Nitkin, a reporter with the Illinois Answers Project for the Better Government Association, is also back. Welcome, welcome. Thanks so much. Good to be here. And rounding out our panel is WBEZ education reporter Sarah Carpe. Hey, Sarah. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Well, now that we are officially in the 2024 election year, folks, I want to start with that. Because Illinois is now the 18th state to join the national debate about whether or not former President Donald Trump should be allowed to run for president. What do you think? I want you to decide. Alex, first.
2: Yes, I mean no. I don't know.
0: I'm. Uh, it's 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 a very difficult <laughs> legal answer. question
2: to, to to put right now. Yeah, I mean, look, it's really interesting to to follow this. We're not used to looking at a presidential race as a legal question before. This is an entirely new question, a new issue. And it, uh, one thing is that you'd have to think eventually it'll come to the U.S. Supreme Court with all of this kind of swarm of lawsuits that are being appealed and overturned and. Uh, it's it's probably going to go to the you know yeah. conservative Supreme Court. The other thing is that um, you know if uh, Donald Trump is convicted of a crime, which is entirely possible this year, that would open up an entire new legal can of worms, and I'm sure a set of lawsuits uh, over whether a convicted felon can run mm-hmm. for president.
0: What do you think, Sarah?
1: I I think like like Alex, like look at the Supreme Court, right? That when when they get this question, I think one of the state the his legal team already went to the Supreme Court Colorado right yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so I you know I expect that the Supreme Court will you know will will side with him just because and I guess the question is that he hasn't actually been convicted of leading an insurrection so you know there's some question like can you know is is that mean that he didn't actually do it I you know I'm no no legal expert but if he could get convicted of something, then would that then change the whole scenario? Right. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I guess we're all sort of thinking that this is just a big old hubbub and what doesn't really mean anything because um, the wheels of justice roll really slowly yeah. and we're probably just going to, you know, wait out until November and they're And I doubt that there'll be a conviction. before. And meanwhile,
3: I mean, Trump is trying to just wrap up the um, Republican nomination as quickly as possible before his court cases come, before all of this stuff gets settled. So basically he can be, you know, the Republican nominee before anything comes down.
0: Yeah. uh, He filed appeals this week in Maine and Colorado, two states which have blocked him from appearing on the ballot. Now, his Colorado appeal will most likely be heard by the Supreme Court, as you mentioned. and, And this is at a time, Quinn, when he faces many other court dates. For more than 90 criminal counts. I mean, do you think that this latest controversy hurts or helps Trump's campaign?
3: I don't think it really hurts him. I mean, I think his die-hard supporters will be um, supporting him no matter what. I mean, he's been there's he's facing four um, indictments, uh, federal and state. <laughs> So I don't see it impacting him. And in, in Illinois, you know, I think even if it does go up to the Illinois Supreme Court with a Democratic majority and they do rule, you know, I, I agree. It's going to come back to the U.S. Supreme Court. It has a conservative majority, um, probably will side with Donald Trump.
0: Now, Alex, we've also received confirmation this week that a substantial number of people were missed by the 2020 U.S. Census count here in Illinois, so much so that our state may not be losing population after all.
2: What happened? Yeah, you know, the census counts are a really big deal, not just for sort of clout and reputation, and you hear a lot of political messaging going back and forth. We're losing population. Actually, we're gaining population. Really, it matters in large part because of federal funding, um, it, which is a re- big reason why, if you think back to the 2020 census, All of the local governments and city and state were so invested in get yourself counted. We want as many people to be counted as possible because it really matters for all of us to, you know, get our fair share of federal grant money. And so this is part of this latest episode of this sort of back and forth where um, the Census Bureau had originally said that we as the state of Illinois had lost some several tens of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. The state came back and said, no, actually, we found some more. And then what we're talking about here is the difference between. 2022 and 2023, uh, the Census Bureau does periodic updates. The Census Bureau said um, originally the state lost 30,000 people mm-hmm. between just that one year, 2022 and 2023, making it one of eight states uh, in the country that lost population. The state of Illinois has come back. It it um, launched a you know investigation. It said, "Hey, we found." 46,400 more people under some couch cushions. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how they do these investigations. So it's just another in this back and forth where um, the state has come back and now the Census Bureau has acknowledged, okay, you actually gained a little bit of population. I think that this really shrouds some other more important numbers that are a little bit below the surface, like that. Some parts of the state are actually gaining population very fast, Mm -hmm. like in downtown and uh, sort of north and northwest side of Chicago, whereas the rural and downstate are really hemorrhaging population, which I think is a much more important nuance of all of this. Another piece of it is that um, later in the Tribune story that uh, reported this um, by Robert Chanick, should shout out there, um, the state during this period lost about 84,000 people um, in net domestic migration, of people who left the state to go to different states, but that was partially made up by 41,000 roughly um, international migrants. So yeah. this is also a really important piece of context for the uh, migrant, if you wanna call it migrant crisis. Yeah. Um, you know, you could call it a problem. Cities and state don't know what to do with all of these people, so, so but an ultimately- So undercount
0: is problematic.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if if undercount the state's theory or the state's argument is if you don't count us for the actual number of people who live here, then we're not going to get our fair share of resources that Mm -hmm. we deserve.
0: Yeah. And so the living situation, you joked about people being found under couch cushions, but I mean, they talked about group quarters, right? What living situations are considered to be group quarters? I
3: think um, some like. Dormitories, college dormitories, um, inc- uh, people who are incarcerated. I think there was one of the criteria. Oh, assisted living. Assisted living, um, things like that. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's always interesting. We've, we have this push and pull uh, with census data. It becomes so political so quickly. People on the right and left use it so quickly to bolster whatever point they're trying to make. Is Illinois growing? Is it is it declining? Are people leaving the the high property taxes are they coming here for all the opportunities we you know it it becomes kind of almost meaningless at this point but it's not to your point alex because it is tied to federal dollars that the state needs
0: so sarah i want to turn now to some new state laws that went into effect this week now you probably heard about the state's minimum wage increase from 13 to 14 dollars an hour as well as the assault weapons ban but we wanted to spend some time on the recap this week on the few lesser known new laws so for starters I want you to break down uh, this one. Illinois residents can no longer hit their vapes in public.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: They don't let us
2: have anything anymore.
1: (laughs) I mean, I guess, who knew?
3: (laughs) Wasn't that already, I mean, you go into a bar or restaurant and, you know, it's, you already, you can't vape, right? Or, you know, it was already kind of uh, at least case by case.
1: Yeah. Really, I. You know, I. I'm not a big vapor. Clearly, so I, like, <laughs> yeah. I have like no idea what what were the rules around this. Though I actually was somewhere not too long ago where somebody was vaping, and I was like, I didn't know you could do that inside. But yeah. now I guess you can't. So. Well, yeah,
0: e-cigarettes and vapes are. Uh, it's no public l- spaces within a certain distance with, from. Yeah, they're from they're from prohibited entrance, now right? in public places and within 15 feet of entrances oh wow that is the new law any thoughts quinn i mean i think is this going to impact your life
3: it, it will uh mostly not <laughs> <laughs> um i i don't think uh you know i think this is probably a good thing i mean if you can't smoke obviously maybe vapor from an e-cigarette isn't quite as damaging as secondhand smoke but it, you know with you're at a bar or a restaurant and someone's puffing a huge vape cloud next to you it's a little annoying i i would think mm-hmm. so uh, i think it's it's good to require people to go outside similar to how you would smoke a cigarette
0: all right. For those of you who will be building new single family homes or constructing residential buildings with parking in 2024, a new law says that you're going to have to make them EV friendly. What do we need to know, Quinn?
3: Um, yeah. So last year, the Electric Vehicle Charging Act was passed. Um, and uh, basically that will require starting uh, this week, um, single ha- family homes and some smaller residential buildings, I believe it's under five units, um, have to build an electric vehicle capable parking units per space essentially Mm -hmm. um with charging capabilities um and then larger buildings i believe uh in 90 days will now then be required to add in um you know addition new buildings will be have to add charging ports um so it's a boon for the electric vehicle business um, but also i think it's a sign of the times, showing that more and more consumers are buying um electric cars and we're going to see um you know
2: more of that down the road
0: yeah and uh, alex there was also a law that got removed from the books this year and it had to do with things like air fresheners You're in your car. You're finally
2: allowed to have an air freshener hanging from your rear uh, windshield in your car. I did not know that that was against the law. Before. Yeah. What was
0: the purpose of it?
2: <laughs> you know, it's actually really interesting. Um, it was proposed by, or at least supported by Secretary of State, Illinois Secretary of State Alexei mm-hmm. Um, The impetus for this was that he and advocates found that police officers were using this kind of obscure little known law against having air fresheners to as as uh, um, a grounds for traffic stops yeah
0: um and, and so this racially was, profiling drivers We've that's seen. what i was just saying yeah,
1: wasn't the young man in minnesota who was philando killed. castile yeah mm-hmm. because he he was stopped originally wasn't it because of an air freshener that's correct yeah yeah so that's very very interesting
2: We have, yeah, a quote from the press release from Giannullius that says this is a there is absolutely quote. There's absolutely no data to support that pulling people over for an air freshener or rosary uh, reduces violent crime or prevents accidents. It seems pretty intuitive, but sort of an interesting thing to see in a um, in an official press release and and sort of one way of eating away at this huge issue of using racial uh, using traffic stops as kind of a form of racial profiling.
0: See, I told you I was going to hit on the laws that nobody really talks about. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's shift here to uh, Governor Pritzker naming a new head to the state's Department of Children and Family Services. Sarah, who's
1: Heidi Mueller? So she was the head of the Illinois Department of Juvenile Justice since 2016. Um, she led a, a pretty progressive initiative while she was there where, you know, she really, you know, worked on... Revamping the system, making it more um, more catered to children and to you know rehabilitating them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've certainly heard better things about the Illinois Department of um, Juvenile Justice under her leadership, and so they did a national search and they they chose her. One thing that I was you know sort of surprised about when I was reading the um, the article in the Sun Times about her is that this is the thirteenth director in 14 years um that's a lot yeah so and and you know the Department of Children and Family Services is just perennially in trouble and has had a lot I mean even the report that came out before um Christmas uh, before de- in December it was really you know pretty pretty terrible about you know kids waiting in um you know, waiting for, for placements and sleeping in
2: offices. Mm -hmm. offices. And
1: I've heard, you know, this last year I did a story, um, on a a state program for kids who, who have, um, mental health issues. And one of the things that we heard is that if you were a child who was in foster care, sometimes you would go to a psychiatric, to an emergency room for a psychiatric issue and, wind up sitting there for like two, three weeks because wow. there's nowhere to place you. And so I just think this this is a, a department that, you know, deals with the, the most vulnerable children. And, you know, hopefully this director can, you know, finally get some things in place that can work better for kids, yeah. you know. Well, she's
0: the 13th in 14 years. Yeah,
1: good luck to her. Good
0: luck. All right, Alex. Former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan appeared in federal court this week for a hearing about his highly anticipated corruption trial. Just remind us, as if we need reminders, Mm. what is Madigan charged with?
2: He is charged with 22 counts of uh, various forms of racketeering, bribery, basically the way that federal prosecutors put it was that he was essentially a a crime boss, that he spent um, most of his, or at least the the last decade of his very long and illustrious career as House Speaker, Um, State House Speaker, as, quote, uh, leading uh, a criminal enterprise whose purpose was to enhance his political power and financial well-being while generating income for his political allies and associates, end quote. They did not pull any punches. Thank you you to the, yeah, uh, uh, federal prosecutors for um, putting that into words. So I would not have to try and boil down to a couple of words what the sort of essence and aura and reputation of Mike Madigan. Mm-hmm. Um he this indictment came down almost 2 years ago now, March 2022 and we've just been waiting and waiting for his oh, trial. Wow. Um yeah, time flies, right when there are so many different uh political indictments.
0: Yeah, and at this this hearing Madigan's trial date which had been scheduled for this spring it was punted.
2: Yes, by we think about 6 months. We have no way of knowing of course that that's going to be the last time this. Why was did delayed. the judge
0: decide to delay? Uh
2: because he wanted to wait for a Supreme Court decision regarding a former mayor of Portage, Indiana, James Snyder, who is um, uh, on trial for similar kind of corruption charges. Um, apparently, he thinks that there could be some kind of precedent set by that. And so, just to be careful, they're going to kick the Madigan trial back until I think October of this year is when it's scheduled. Um, we did wait for, mm. I think, what was it, four or five years for the yeah, four years for the Ed Burke trial. So, the like um, Sarah said, the wheels of justice move slowly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when oh, a date in October, as you mentioned, I mean, that pushes this trial to the heart of election season.
3: And up to Christmas, just like we saw the Ed Burke uh, trial last oh, year. that's right. Um, but, you know, it's obviously in um, these people's favor to push their trial back as far as possible. They want to, you know, kind of push it out of public memory if they can, and they want to, um, you know... Um, Basically, if they are going to end up going to jail, I want to delay that as far as possible.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you are tuned in to the Weekly News Recap, where we take you behind the headlines of the week's top local stories. Now, before the break, we took a look at what happened at the state level during the first week of 2024, but there is a lot more news to get to. Doctors are seeing a rise in respiratory viruses. Rush Hospital even bringing back those mask requirements. Multiple suburbs are taking action to prevent further unannounced migrant drop-offs in their towns.
2: Construction of the improved city-state intake center is already underway. There's
0: a push to remove school resource officers from Chicago public schools. Our panel is still here with us to break down these stories. Quinn Myers is a reporter covering Wicker Park, Westtown, and Bucktown for Block Club Chicago. Sarah Karp is a WBEZ education reporter. And Alex Nitkin is an investigative reporter with the Illinois Answers Project for the Better Government Association. All right, Sarah, CPS principals are getting news that school resource officers might be out of their schools as soon as next fall. What's going on?
1: Yeah, and so there, there's um, many parts of this. Um, one thing that I really want to make clear is that only 39 high schools still have principals stationed in them. So... School resource officers. Right, right. So we call, you know, that's the formal name of the program, school resource officers. And they, so, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, my God, CPS is removing cops. It's like, CPS has been removing cops. Cops have been leaving the public school system. I mean, you remember in 2020, there was a lot of discussion about police brutality around George Floyd. At that time, there was a a lot of activism around trying to remove police officers from schools. Local school councils were given the power to to vote um, to take them out, and they've been taken out of a lot of schools. So this board is going to have to vote on another contract with um, CPD coming in August and there's a lot of evidence that this board will not support that mm-hmm. um, and so th- I think that the school district and board members are, are starting or are trying to just prepare principals you know there's there's a lot of debate about this but one of the main things that this that this board um, members are have been concerned about for a long time is is that, police officers in schools tend to criminalize student behavior, you know, that otherwise might be punished through like suspensions or expulsion. And that's why
0: proponents wanted to see them out of schools.
1: There's a lot of evidence that that police officers in schools police inside the schools, whereas when a lot of the discussion about police officers in schools talks about safety from outside the schools. And I, I think that one thing that the public school you know i talked to someone from the public schools this week who was saying like we're not going to end our relationship with the police department entirely they'll still be you go by a high school a lot of times they're in dismissal you will see you know a a police officer's Mm -hmm. car drive by and i think that that will still be
0: i see you mentioned local school councils give us quick context the powers that they have and and how many LSCs have decided to get rid of officers in the past?
1: So I think it's about 24 voted to get rid of them. Um, and then a, a lot of the ones that still have police officers in the schools, rather than have two, they have only one left. Um, they they were incentivized because um, back two years ago, they decided that if you remove the police officer, you could get money to hire a counselor or a school resource, cor- uh, like a... Um, sort of justice coordinator somebody you know somebody that would work with kids and discipline otherwise
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so a lot of schools took that took that up and did that so um, so a number have removed have removed police officers from schools already yeah and, and that's that's the thing like even some of the schools that you would think of like oh well they're in a dangerous neighborhood oh don't they need police officers a lot of them don't have them
0: mm. right now. Now, Mayor Johnson, back when he was on the campaign trail, said, you know, quote, armed officers have no place in schools. But upon taking office, of course, we know Johnson said he was okay with letting the um, school, local school councils choose. I'm curious, Alex, since taking office, uh, the mayor has in many ways we've seen him uh, try to appeal to people who didn't vote for him. Right. What do you think a school board decision to cut the police contract would mean for him and how he's perceived
2: I don't know. I think that it's definitely no surprise to hear him sort of punt the issue to other jurisdictions or Mm -hmm. other folks. I mean, this is someone who's being asked every single day for his view on every single thing, which in one way makes sense. He has control, um, you know, still over the school system and school board in many ways. Um, I think that that was probably a pretty natural reaction for now him to say, um, you know, I have enough on my plate. I have enough actual things that he has really direct power. Let to. the LSCs
0: handle this. Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, I think it's a very diplomatic and, and political answer. Um, it's also something that, you know, now that the Board of Education has um, appointees who are really friendly to him and allied with him, it's probably mm-hmm. a little safer for, for him to say that he can you know, feel more comfortable leaving those kinds of decisions in their hands
1: mm. right I mean he knew who he appointed right so he knew that he appointed people that would not want police in schools
0: yeah. yeah well what's the timeline and next steps for this Sarah
1: I think that what's going to happen is that local school councils will be told you need to create safety plans in your schools that do not include school resource officers um they probably will also tell these schools that they will get money to hire some extra staff instead of those police officers um, they'll also open up the floor to some public discussion about this to say they want feedback, but the parameters around it will be that imagine a school safety plan without police officers.
0: Mm. All right, Quinn, as we know, migrants have been bused and flown to Chicago from Texas since August of 2022, so well over a year at this point. And one hallmark of this is a, a lack of communication and coordination from Governor Abbott with Not just buses, but planes full of people arriving at all hours of the day. Now, Mayor Johnson has begun to put some limits on bus companies. This is in an attempt to try to create some sort of order. But now Chicago suburbs are trying to do the same. They're trying to follow suit. So even in some cases, they're blocking buses from bringing new arrivals in. Fill us in.
3: Sure. So you'll remember late last year, uh, city council passed an ordinance basically that would allow the city to fine and in some cases impound these so-called rogue buses, buses from mostly from Texas that were showing up unannounced in the city without prior Notice um, outside of the um, curfew that the city had established and not at the city's designated landing zone, which is near downtown in the South Loop where um, city employees basically can respond, be there, help people find shelter, kind of figure out what their next steps are. So it was creating chaos, um, and the city put this new rule into effect. Um, there was pretty quickly some immediate fallout. We, we've seen at least two planes um, chartered by Texas come uh, one to Rockford, one to O'Hare, mm-hmm. bringing hundreds of people here um, who are then bused to the uh, city limits or to outside the city and giving given train passes or other methods of communication to come into the city. Um, we've seen uh, numerous buses drop off in suburbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this past week we saw several uh, suburbs and cities respond to that. Juliet, Waukegan, North Chicago, other suburbs um, passed passing laws to limit or restrict, um, how buses can drop um, asylum seekers off in their municipalities yeah. um, without um, prior prior warning.
0: Well, yesterday here on Reset, we talked with Brian Cones. He's the pastor at Trinity Episcopal Church in Highland Park, and uh, they're currently housing 15 new arrivals. But here's uh, a little bit of his response to some of the ordinances that are, are blocking these unscheduled drop-offs now in the suburbs.
3: There's no doubt a need to regulate how the buses arrive for people's safety, but regulating versus just blocking people from entering. I mean, it's two different things mm-hmm. when we actually have the ability um, to turn what we keep calling a crisis into.
0: This overarching worry that there's not enough resources, and even, you know, uh, folks' fear of new arrivals. I mean, are you seeing sort of that reflected in the neighborhoods that you're covering?
3: Sure. I mean, we've seen a lot of backlash across the city uh, over the past year, year and a half to um, establishing shelters, temporary shelters for migrants. I mean, um, in WBZ's Mike Puente story about this from this week, he interviewed um, Buffalo Grove Village board president who said, There's nothing political about this ordinance. We're just trying to, um, you know, have some progress proper provisions and planning here, but of course it is political, right? It is inherently uh, dictating how um, and when people can or cannot come into a certain community, right? Uh, and that's something the city of Chicago has been dealing with debating um, in communities at City Hall um, for about a year and a half now. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know if uh, we're any closer to finding a solution here without any larger authority uh, like the federal government, um, you know, coming in with a, a larger, more comprehensive plan and uh, yeah. and spending.
0: As you mentioned, the state's funding an intake center to welcome new arrivals at what's known as this landing zone in downtown. Uh, people are arriving there. They're sleeping on warming buses while they wait for somewhere to stay. Now, there's also six heated tents... Currently under construction. I mean, can we expect that intake center to be up and running? So, yeah. So
3: back in November, um, the state of Illinois, Governor Pritzker, announced that the state would spend $160 million in various parts of the new arrivals mission. And $30 million of that uh, is going to this intake center at the designated landing zone uh, near downtown. Um, Construction has finally begun on that this week. uh, The state told me um, there are going to be six heated tents to um, take in. People and help them either find shelter space in Chicago or um, continue on to a different destination outside of Chicago. The uh, the state and city have said that that those efforts will help, uh, you know, not overwhelm the city's shelter system, because a lot of migrants coming here actually uh, don't necessarily want to stay in Chicago. They want to go. They have family and friends elsewhere. They want to go. Uh, to a different city um, but something you know as that is being set up uh, this week we were down there block club was there and we interviewed a few people who have spent a few nights on CTA warming buses at the landing zone as uh, as these uh, facilities get set up um, and the intake center is not a state spokesperson told me is not meant for people to spend the night there it's meant to be a temporary right. yeah. uh, place where they can warm up get some food um and get and them, them moving and keep them moving so um, there's still some disorder and still some um, some things being worked out there for sure. Yeah.
1: You know, one one thing I thought was sort of interesting this weekend, I'm not exactly sure where I read it, but that the amount that's that Chicago was um predicted to spend on migrants over the last year is way less than than we actually spent. And I, I really was was really curious about what the, what was it that we didn't do what we should be, have been doing for migrants, and that's why we spent so so much less. Or was it that the migrants, um, the things that we thought were going to be expensive were less expensive? But I I do think that it's worth digging in a little bit into like, okay, so why why did they think that we were going to spend? I think it was like spend over three hundred million, and we really spent only one hundred and thirty six million or mm-hmm. something. Those are the numbers that stand out in my mind. But I I think that there's you know there's some real questions. I mean I hear. A lot from um, schools who are getting kids, you know, uh, right. a big influx of, of kids. And it's not that these kids don't need resources and teachers and things like that. It's just that they're not there. Let's
0: shift gears, Alex, to something that impacts all of us. That's transit safety. So while traffic crashes and deaths increase in Chicago, they have decreased in Evanston. So we're we're talking hundreds in Chicago compared to several years with no deaths for cyclists or pedestrians in Evanston. That's pretty stunning.
2: It is. We were surprised when we had heard about this too. We stumbled across um, a speech that U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg gave about a year ago to the U.S. Conference of Mayors. He was talking about what's called Vision Zero, this concept of all cities should strive to have zero traffic deaths, no people getting getting killed in the streets, um anymore because of cars. And he shouted out Evanston. He said, Well there's you know, you may think that it's impossible, but there's this one city, Evanston, um, that managed to do the impossible and go five years without a single traffic death. And we looked what into it right? true. I mean that is the question, that that is we the spent question. Several what are they months doing? Trying to figure out. Yeah. Um and it really is a combination of various different strategies that all amount to getting cars to slow down in one way or another. They multiple times in multiple places um, lowered the official speed limit. The city's or the, the state's kind of statutory speed limit for roads everywhere is 30 miles an hour, and Evanston has been going kind of arterial street by street and saying, actually, it's going to be 25. Mm-hmm. they found that that's made a real difference. A lot of it is also just a really kind of centralized and coordinated and deliberate annualized effort to make the streets safer with infrastructure by building separated bike lanes, by extending sidewalks and creating just more barriers to cars. If you've Mm -hmm. been up there and you've seen um, on Dodge Avenue or on Sheridan Road near Northwestern there, um, they've completely remade the streets. And I think that the, the takeaway here really is that there's no... New secret sauce. There's no silver bullet. There's nothing yeah. that we don't already know about how to make streets safer. It's really just building the kinds of infrastructure that make cars yeah. go more slowly and create more space for pedestrians. And, and, and it cycles. is
0: hard to compare Evanston and Chicago Absolutely. directly, right? As you point out in your reporting, uh, Alex, Chicago is much larger. You know, yeah. we've got busy arterial streets and highways crossing the city and much different funding streams. Many more decision makers than Evanston, yeah. that's for sure, too. But it sounds like we can take From what evanston is doing well
2: yeah i mean it's definitely true chicago is a much much bigger city i mean it also had about 30 times bigger to be exact um i think that the thing that stuck out to us is that over the past 10 years chicago's data has been getting worse while evanston's has been getting better and i think that it's just worth pausing on how big a deal it is the, mm-hmm. the city of evanston population about eighty thousand, went five whole years without a single death it's a really big deal when a single chicago ward goes a full year right without a death and yeah. while you know it's definitely true that there are so many different decision makers and funding streams and things like that that's also i think kind of a a revelation here which is that when you have so many different cooks in the kitchen in particular uh, older people who have their own actual, not just say in infrastructure spending, but each of them is sitting on their own $1.5 million pot of menu infrastructure spending. Mm-hmm. They really have so much latitude over what gets built and what doesn't. And we really right. were able to describe ways that that was an obstacle.
0: Well, I got to get reaction from Quinn here to, to Evanston's model of slowing drivers down because you've been reporting on the construction of bike lanes at Grand and Milwaukee.
3: Yes, um, I mean Wicker Park, West Town, Bucktown is kind of um, centralized. Lots of bike, lots of cyclists, lots of bike lanes. Um, but two projects, uh, really an extensive one that's totally retrofitting Grand Avenue, basically from Og uh, from. Uh, Chicago Avenue all the way to Ogden, Ukrainian Village into Westtown. There's an ongoing um, bike lane project there, and there's a similar one with some some differences uh, on the so-called Hipster Highway on Milwaukee mm-hmm. Avenue between um, North and um, Campbell Street, which goes just past Western, right kind of into Logan Square. Um, those projects were um, part of the so-called Complete Streets project, uh, projects that the city has been rolling out over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have faced a couple delays, but they're going to be wrapping up this This spring Um, but just to uh, Alex's point you know lots of cyclists call for a bike grid um, something that will basically connect the entire city and you don't have to kind of go oh I'm in the first ward but now I'm in 32 and the bike lane ends here and then I have to go back up a street and get on the bike lane again you know something that has a cohesive strategy and something that I think CDOT has really been working towards but that is still lacking um, a a comprehensive uh, plan
0: well, in the vein of alternate transit, uh, got to mention the CTA yellow line that connects Skokie and downtown is back up and running. That's after two months of act- of inactivity. Now, in mid-November 2023, a yellow line train rear-ended a snowplow, injuring dozens of people. Sarah, before we wrap up this portion of the recap, Chicago has moved from low to medium risk of COVID transmission. Now, this is the first time this has happened in a year, and it's on the heels of December being the so-called Triple demic with you know high flu and RSV and COVID cases. I mean, have you been hearing of more people getting sick?
1: Yeah. I certainly
0: got hit with it over the Christmas you break. Did.
1: did you get COVID?
0: No, it was a cold, it was, it was a flu. Cold, though. I had a, I took three COVID tests, and they say I didn't have COVID, but I felt covety.
1: I, I had some family members not be able to come to Christmas because yeah. of
0: COVID, so that was very
1: sad. Yeah. But um
0: my kids were out for the entire Thanksgiving week, just really out down sick. for the count. Yeah. Yes.
1: I mean, you know, what was interesting about um, the article on this is that they the flu is actually more of a concern. The increase is, you know, sort of gone up a lot more for the flu. Well, um, COVID and RSV has kind of plateaued. And, you know, they said that's because over the last couple of years, um, especially during COVID, mm-hmm. a lot of people got the flu because we yeah. weren't around each other. And so now, you know, everyone's getting the flu. And also... People aren't getting vaccinated and the vaccination rates are just really low. And I do know that going back into school, you know, kids go back next week. A lot of people are really worried that it's going to be like, yeah, whoosh. But one good thing is that the holidays were way at the beginning of Christmas and I mean, of the two weeks. And so now the kids have been off for two weeks. So. You know, maybe they got it out, out of their system. I so.
0: sure hope so. I don't want anyone coming back with anything when they yeah. go back next week. Have y'all been hearing about people getting sick lately, too? For
3: sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, I had COVID in November, pretty oh, mild. Geez. But, you know, yeah. yeah, it's kind of, it's become part of the fabric it's of our lives. It's a thing
0: now, right? It's part of the rotation. Well, in light of this, Sarah, some medical facilities, including Rush, they're requiring patients and visitors and staff now to put their masks back on.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wonder, you in places like that where, you know, people go there when they're sick, Why they don't always want people to wear masks? Sometimes I'm sort of like, well, I'm like the mask came off. Right, right. When I go into like a waiting room of a doctor, yeah, I I would not mind a mask. You
0: know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure when I brought my daughter for her annual checkup in November, we were asked to put masks on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know where they were doing that, but. Put your masks back on please and get vaccinated and yeah, get, get your vaccinated. booster shots yeah. Booster. Yeah. we're not done with boosters folks we're not done this is reset i'm sasha ann simons we are back with the home stretch of our weekly news recap giving you a closer look at the top stories across chicago and illinois now before the break we talked about the latest city news and there's still more to cover still with us here in studio is quinn myers who covers wicker park west town and bucktown for block club chicago Alex Nitkin, who's a reporter with the Illinois Answers Project for the Better Government Association, and Sarah Carp, WBEZ Education reporter. Okay, we are nearly a week into the new year folks. Can you believe it? How are we feeling? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> good. Feeling year. good. I, I don't I feel like I I don't know where these 5 days have gone. Mm. Yeah. Feeling okay. tired. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's I,
1: hard coming back.
0: Anybody tired of their resolution just yet? Well, the good thing
3: is if you don't make any resolutions, you don't have to yeah, that's stick right. with them. Yeah.
0: So, no resolutions? Oh no! Wow, you know, just a
3: general like you know plea for self betterment, but nothing like <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing too specific. You know, I don't want to hold myself to anything.
0: And really. where do you start on that journey?
3: Oof, um, you know, for bettering yourself. Yeah, everything: more exercise, more sleep, less okay. phone, everything.
0: Yeah, less phone. Good luck. Less yeah. phone. Uh, I typically do the vision board thing, um, mm. did not do it this year for some wow. reason. However, got the bright idea from a, a reset guest yesterday to just, to make it less overwhelming and take it in quarters. And so mm. I'm going to do, ah. and, and do a digital version. Do a little quarterly report. Shout out to Jenny yourself. LaFleur, Mama Fresh. Yeah. So do a little quarter, quarterly, you know. Kind of like you can file taxes Yeah. So this like- weekend <laughs> I think I'm going to sit down. Exactly. I'm going to sit down and, and figure out. Your what Q1 are, goals. How do I want to. Better myself
1: it through till me, March. It makes me think about our uh, HR thing that we have the lattice. Oh, like, lattice. Uh, where they send us these, like, uh, your goal, you're semi there. <laughs> you're your almost goal. there. It's like, oh, leave me alone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if anyone's listening from uh, WBEC yeah, HR, right. we didn't mean that. Sorry. <laughs> we didn't mean that. All right. Well, something cool happened. We, we saw the first newlyweds of 2024, it was a couple from Pilsen. Uh, so the first newlyweds in Cook County, I should say. Now, I'm curious if anybody here would race to the altar at the start of a new year. Does that sound appealing to you all? No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely doesn't. So I we were just talking a little bit off, off mic here. I uh, happen to have just gotten... Legally married in the City Hall basement Yay! just a couple months ago. Congratulations. As sort of a thank you. As kind of just a getting the paperwork done, precursor to like our wedding, wedding so that we wouldn't have to worry about having like a legal officiant, any that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was a great, easy, pretty easy experience. I mean, the getting the Wait, license. Wait, you're not telling us about
0: the basement. You said it involved a basement.
2: Oh, yeah. That was the best part. So, the <laughs> getting the going in and getting the license is a little bit intensive, but once you have the license, you go into the basement and it's just this sort of like drab. Uh, like office waiting room with a little window, and there's like a guy in the window. and It's like, Are you here to get married? And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. this sounds so sketchy. <laughs> <it's> just, yeah, <laughs> two for one special. So, oh my gosh! Um, no, and then you just go in, and they're like, all right, we got a judge here. I'm like, all right, do you? I do. Do you? I do. You're married. Congratulations. That's very, it. Ca-
0: pretty much. I mean, Sarah, you got married in the basement too,
1: right? Yeah, and you know, I don't know. Th- they did the vows. Oh, like, do you? I mean, they this? said,
0: "Would you like to take?" Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And I, I, actually, so I don't know why we went through this whole, you know, probably the same guy was still there, you <laughs> know, Indeed. even though yeah. this was 20, 20 years ago now. But
0: he's apparently hitting the vapes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But um, when they started saying, "Like, do you take this man?" I started crying because I don't know why I didn't envision like having to take vows. I, I was thinking was, in a basement. In a basement. I just thought this was like, you know, paperwork, and they'd just be like, "Sign here, now go home." Um, and I went to work that day. Like I, I went to work. I was at work by nine thirty. Well, because we, you know, we, we had a we had a wedding coming, a real wedding coming later. I mean,
0: well, if HR's uh, listening, still, now you just you're back in their good books. That's right. That's <laughs> right.
1: But you know, uh, of course, like every, like every not a lot of people who get married in the basement. of I was pregnant, so you know, it's like an ulterior motive. Ah, uh, gotcha, so. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> like,
0: um, our colleagues at sometimes covered uh, that couple of course they also covered newborns of the new year my niece she's a January 1st baby well she's an adult now but what's funny to me is that I mean even so many years later it still takes me several hours into January 1st to remember oh right gotta reach out mm-hmm. oh gotta get mm-hmm. a gift like Cause you're still recovering from New Year's Eve, right? Yeah, I mean it's like
3: any big holiday, birthday. You feel kind of yeah. bad. I mean, I know I, I feel couple, so bad. for I know the... a few Christmas babies.
0: Yeah, um, they're
3: like thirty now. But you're like, getting
0: you know, you're getting two gifts in one. Yeah,
3: you know you know you were never the gift parody was never there. You know sorry, even if guys. your parents tried, you know it wasn't there. But I'm you know so do you sorry. think do you think people plan? Do you think people want to have a New Year's baby? Like are they are they calculating? I this think so? some do.
0: I think yeah. some do. Yeah. Of
2: all the holidays to have on your birthday, one being shared being shared with one that's associated with hangovers and like attempts at self-betterment. Yeah, I don't think that's what I want to be associated that's with. That's not the one. No. That's
0: not the one. All right, let's get into some news here, Alex. Uh, plans to turn the old Rainforest Cafe in River North to a pot dispensary? They've gone up in smoke.
2: That's an excellent pun, whoever thought of it. Very original. <laughs> um, this would not be the first dispensary in River North. Uh, as we know, they've been popping up all over the place.
0: Yes, and you've been on the show quite a bit to talk about it because you cover cannabis.
2: Yeah, among other things, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, Do you? Yeah, so there were um, there were two, not vaping though, you could find a different vape, vape <laughs> correspondent. So uh, these two companies called Progressive Treatment Solutions, LLC, and Biofarm they had rolled out this plan to open a dispensary in the... Um, late lamented Rainforest Cafe in River North. Um, it had basically just gotten, it, it went through zoning approval, It went to the what's called the Zoning Board of Appeals, which is sort of just like a ministerial body that makes sure that they've checked all their boxes. Mm-hmm. They were sued by a competitor on the grounds that um, they had run afoul of a state regulation uh, that they were too close basically to existing um, dispensaries and by a neighbor who just didn't want more dispensaries in their neighborhood um and it it turns out that um They just gave up. They just said that they're going to scrap the plan. So
0: these lawsuits stop any cannabis company from moving in or just these specific ones?
2: These specific ones um, related to the distance requirement, which it draws attention to some pretty murky legal languages in the state law that says that no dispensary can open within 1,500 feet of another dispensary. Mm. Um, Interestingly, the first two dispensaries in River North um, got around that by opening at the same time on the same day. And so neither opened in, you know, less (laughs) than 1,500 feet from an existing dispensary. Perfect. Um, And so it's a lot of murky language. Um, There's a question here raised by this lawsuit of whether um, so-called social equity applicants are exempted from those rules. Um, But, I mean, that's something that uh, state attorneys are going to have to figure out maybe as they go back and if if they update the law next. And um, bottom line, though, also, you know, if you are in need of legal expensive cannabis and you're in River North, you're not going to be...
1: Without you options. know where to go, can I just say though that I am bummed. I mean, if they would have kept all the people, the all the have you ever been into mm-hmm. the rainforest? I mean, there's like these like freaky like animals who like dance, and yeah. there's always like the sound of the rainforest coming, and it's like a really psychedelic place. I was like, this is the place that you need to go and get <laughs> some weed. I mean, if they kept all the, I wanted them to keep everything, all the stuff yeah. around, all the stuff, and then you go in there and. I really, they. But I yeah. guess not. Can
0: well, you I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's going to be very cold next week.
1: A Have you heard? Storm.
0: Yes. A winter storm, our first major winter storm is coming. Are you excited? Yeah, yeah. bring it on.
3: I would be excited, but I, I have a feeling it's going to be a bust. I feel like, yeah, me we, too. you know. Like, I hope you're right. It, it actually is crazy that in Chicago we're hoping for snow these days. But I mean, Who, the past Who's of winters- we? <laughs> right here.
0: We speak
3: French now? I, I, I'm hoping for snow. I mean, I would rather have snow than just the like, interminable grayness uh, that has yeah. become that is our true. winters yeah. here, you know. So, I'm hoping for snow. I hope it really dumps on us, but I'm also not getting my hopes what, whatever up. Whatever doesn't rain.
0: bring the wind chill, it's going to be I'm rain. fine without the wind chill. I think you're
3: right.
2: I
0: think. Maybe uh, slush. We talked yeah. winter hobbies on the show yesterday, Sarah, and part of that segment was so cool because one of our producers, Max Lubbers, went out and talked to some of the fishermen here at Navy Pier. Oh yeah, I love
1: seeing those guys. Yeah,
0: it was so cool. I mean, what's the earliest or latest you've seen them out there when you're coming to and from work?
1: Um. In the morning? Yeah. I mean, I, they're I out, out there. Early in the dark. So like early. It's been dark, yeah. And then it
0: gets dark again when we're leaving because it's winter in Chicago. Yeah. And they're still out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's... I should listen to that. I, I want to hear. I, I I keep thinking to myself. I just want to talk to those guys. Do they eat the fish? Do they eat the fish?
0: Yes, oh, that's and what I want. Are they to... are they paying for parking on Navy Pier? No,
1: I don't think <laughs> so. Right, right. That's the big question. No, just you. <laughs> right.
0: That's right. All right, uh, real quick around the table. Anything that uh, you're looking forward to uh, working on in this new year? Big big news threads that you're looking forward to diving into. Real quick.
3: I think. I mean, just. With the migrant crisis, asylum seekers, where do we go from here? It's mm-hmm. the biggest question of Big the year. Big question.
0: I know election season is coming up. DNC for me, for sure. Alex? Like two dozen tax increment finance
2: districts are expected to expire this year. And mm-hmm. I need to know whether the city is going to try to expand them or not. Um, I know yeah. it's on everyone's minds. It's all anyone. <laughs> absolutely. <prefers.
1: tiffs.
0: laughs> I go to sleep and I dream of TIFFs. What about yes, you, Sarah? For
1: sure. Oh, this is the year that we will elect our first school board members. Yippee. Wow. So this is, I mean, this is a big deal. It's yeah. never been done in the city of Chicago ever, ever.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll leave it there. That's the weekly news recap. Our first one for 2024. My thanks to WBEZ education reporter, Sarah Carp, Block Club Chicago reporter, Quinn Myers in Illinois, Answers Projects, Alex Nickin. Have a great weekend, folks. Thanks. thanks. Thank you. Thanks.